This is Polar Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Polar Request is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. Starring four, count them four, techno experts. With Eric Newman, hi, Tyler Dinner. Oh, crap, your mics are off. Ha! Tyler Dinner. Hey. Martin, I can't remember your last name. Dupain. Dupain. And Chris Grabowski. Hello. This week's episode... A-R-V-R-E-R-I-C. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another poll request. We've got quite a fantastic episode in store for you lovely people today. And to my left is Tyler Dinner, who's made it all the way into my apartment to do a live recording today. Tyler, how are you? I'm excellent. A little tired from all 12 blocks I had to travel. Oh, my God. Those must have been miserable, miserable, miserable. I, and- I sweated. I, you know, it was hot. Yeah, and to your left uh, is me, but to your right is Martin DePayne, a new contributor to Polar Quest. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you for having me. Fantastic, it's certainly nice. Oh, sorry, Were you, is there anything else you wanted to say? I, uh, I, I enjoyed the snacks. Oh, great, yes. The snacks are great. Wonderful snacks, courtesy of Pneumonium. That's right, Pneumonium, <laughs> reinventing media daily. Anyway. Tax write-off. Tax write-off, yes. <laughs> this whole show is a giant tax write-off for me. Anyway. Uh, let's see. There's a lot to talk about. We've been out of the loop for two weeks. How do you guys feel about that? I feel like you didn't introduce Christian. Did we introduce Christian? No, we no, didn't. No, you didn't. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry, because you're such... You're always here. Hi, Christian. How are you? Doing all right. Okay, great. Well, that, there we go. So we introduced Christian, <laughs> and now back to the... No, I'm sorry. And now back to the show. Uh... Right off the top, so we've been gone for two weeks while we've been juggling our lives around and juggling the show around and trying to figure out what to do. But now we're back. And uh, how, how, how is everybody? Did you have a good week, two weeks? It was a crazy week in America, but it was a fun week for me. Crazy week in America. What happened in America, Tyler? Uh, people got upset. <laughs> Social media was extra spicy, and that's uh, saying something these days. Interesting, interesting. I'm not going to get political because yeah. that's not what the show's about. Exactly. But we, we all know the sentiment if you're living in America. Beautiful. Martin? Living in America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been saucy. Saucy. Yeah. Saucy, sweaty, summery, sexy, salacious, and stupendous. Great. Don't Super forget nice. moist. And moist. And <laughs> is that how your two weeks have been, Christian, very moist? Nah. No? How many... Nah. Uh, no giggity. How many work fires have you had to put out? Too many. Way too many. Well, okay. Well, that's good. Well, it's been nice talking to all of you, and we'll see you again next week. Now. Um, <laughs> good night, Cleveland. Thank you. And you know what? We could hear that this time that okay. you said that because now that we've set it up properly. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, I don't have. I didn't have any notes for today. No. Um, there's there's one thing that I wanted to talk about right on the top of the show, and that's have you noticed that YouTube, like many porn sites, is starting to offer GIF previews of their videos? Yes, that is strange. I saw that the other day. Do you like it? I love it. I'm a fan. It gives me context. Yeah. It's hard to get Rickrolled now, I guess. Oh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Oh, by the way, there's one, one small group that we forgot to introduce. And it's, of course, Christian, who is it? Uh, that Tupperware container studio audience. That's right. It's our studio <laughs> audience. Hi, everybody. How are you? Yes, thank you. We keep them in a Tupperware container during the week, and we take them out on Sundays just for us. And this week, it actually is a Sunday, and they're nice and fresh. So... Anyway, uh, we couldn't do a show without them, or else it'd be slightly less campy. Um, <clears throat> so the YouTube GIF previews, uh, I feel like that should be standard fare in every sort of video player, any sort of video site. What do you think? 
I agree. Uh, especially yeah, I if agree. you're looking for a particular video, it'll help you just you know know what's going on without going to another page. Martin? Yep. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, there's always, like, the discovery element, right? Click on it. You're not sure really what you're going to get. You know, like, all right, this is cool. Well, like you said, it's harder to, it's harder to rickroll someone now. That, that also, that novelty is wearing off. No, but it's, it's also being, 11 years old. Yeah. Well. So, you know, it's, <laughs> almost, it's almost old enough to wear a retro again. Um, the, the other thing about YouTube, by the way, is that they started doing this thing where if you watch a video, no matter on what device, it'll synchronize where you left off when you go to play it on another, on another device. For instance, let's say you're listening to a song on YouTube uh, and you listen to 15 seconds of it. When you go resume the video on your desktop, it'll start where you left off on your phone. Which makes it difficult, that sounds nice, but it makes it difficult when you're looking for things that you want to start from the beginning when you go to view them. Like, oh, this song sounds cool, let me just save it, and when I get back to my computer, I'll listen to it again. And it just starts off, like, immediately from where it left off on your phone. I don't know. It works. I don't know. It's annoying on Hulu sometimes. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, but on video, like, oh, you know what? I was going to say on video services, and YouTube is a video service. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, they've got music videos. That's why that's, yeah. I guess with just video, it's YouTube. Yeah. Um, also, right on the top of the news today is, Hello, ladies! Jerry Lewis, mercurial comedian and filmmaker, finally died at 91. I say finally not to disparage him because he's, he's been around for a long time. He's and one of... It still comes off his poor taste when you say finally. Oh, oh well. <laughs> oh, so does that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jerry Lewis, the comedian and filmmaker who was adored by many, disdained by others, and unquestionably a defining figure of the American entertainment industry in the 20th century, died this morning at his home in Las Vegas. He was 91. Vegas. Vegas, yes. Uh, I mean, Jerry Lewis, what can't you say, what can't you say about him? He, he really, I mean, I guess the, the first leading sentence from the New York Times obituary really does say all of it, or most of it. I mean, there was the whole, there was the whole partnership, friendship he had with Dean Martin and their whole falling out. And they wouldn't talk to each other. And Sammy Davis Jr. got them back, to each other, back together. Uh, didn't Jerry Lewis have a wife, Sherry Lewis, that made Lamb Chop? Wasn't that? Uh, oh, my God. Lamb Chop's play along? I remember yes. Lamb Chop. I think that was Sherry Lewis, who I believe was his wife. Huh. Uh, Jerry Lewis also was the uh, standard voice for any Jewish impression people would do for the latter 20th, half of the 20th century and is the basis for many of Hank Azaria's char- characters on The Simpsons. Um, he would also do those muscular dystrophy shows, uh, uh, benefits, uh, t- uh, what are they, telethons. There we go. He had the telethon he was really famous for every year. Anyway. So it's a very, very, very uh, marbled, distinguished, colored career. And there's nobody... And it would, it, I, I have to stop and just uh, pay homage to him in a very distasteful way. I'm sorry. I have a trend of doing that. Uh, as as a, a Jewish person who believes that he's funny from time to time. So, anyway. Uh, on the heels of that, something slightly less depressing and quite related to our show today. Did you know that there's a solar eclipse coming? Yes. Hey, you guys there? Yes. Did you know that NASA will stream incredible 360-degree videos of the eclipse, and you can watch it without your eyes bleeding? From, like, all sides of the sun? Like, I guess. Then that kind of defeats the eclipse. And I, it does. <laughs> it does. Well, you yeah. can get that to be any time of the event. You know what, That's though? Impressive. I think uh, I think we might have to... See, the problem is, is when, I get a, when my phone beeps during the show uh, that Christian just lost connection. You there, Christian? Oh, he died. That's cool. 
Oh, his connection died. His connection died. Right. <laughs> he didn't die like John Hughes did. We hope. Um, we hope. We, we hope. assume. And you know what? I think it's because he's on that cable vision internet now, like us, that it just drops out. Yeah, uh, I lost connection there. Uh, it's not the inter- it, It's not cable vision unless it randomly disconnects. There's clearly a bug in Zencaster's reconnect, though, because it says it's reconnected, but my audio is not reconnected. Gotcha. Well, you know what, Christian? Because you're really short on time, why don't we save this NASA story for later, and let's get right to your GitHub Issues of the Week. The first GitHub issue of the week is actually something that I found. It may not really be a GitHub issue, though it is an issue on GitHub. Uh, how about we don't do that one? Why? I'm not going to read all of the many l- l- lines of profanity. But well, I'd it, say how about we leave that one to last? Okay. Fine. Our first GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Ansible. And is titled, Incorrect Condition Behavior for Tasks Making Use of Failed Underscore When Statement. The writer says... Making use of the failed when statement does only affect the state of the current task. Verifying the result within a condition of another task does ignore the failed when modification. And they include steps to reproduce. So, Christian, what is failed when? I guess that's just basically a when it's failed, do this. Uh, basically, you're specifying a particular condition where a task that Ansible's running is failed. So that way, if the, like, there's the built-in uh, failed conditions, like, oh, I wasn't able to install this module on an operating system. But you can say, if this file was copied to the wrong location, that's all, consider that also a failed uh, condition. Gotcha. Is the single pipe an Ansible OR, or is that like a, one of those bitwise operators? No, it uh, actually uh, comes out of a, a Jinja-style templating that they included into Ansible, so what does the single pipe character mean? It's a um, way of running built-in functions. So result pipe succeeded is just saying if result succeeded? Yep. Gotcha. Okay. And the expected behavior is result pipe succeeded equals true. The actual behavior is result failed or pipe failed equals true. The workaround is if you say result dot failed not equal true. And... Single pipe is also a great alternative to a bong or rowing a joint. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, Tyler. This is a drug-free show before 7 p.m. That's, yeah, they're free. And it's 8.30 right now. Uh, anyway, um, all right. The uh, state of this task is forwarded by a register that can be verified with succeeded or failed outside of the current task. A condition checking the result should get the same result as the actual task. So what is, what's the real problem here? It just isn't saying true when it needs to be true? Yeah. Oh, okay. sorry. Not saying false when it should be false. Not saying false when it should be false. Okay, great. Uh, you want to move on to the next one? Sure. Okay. The uh, React Native issue? Okay. Yep. Fantastic. Our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from our favorite, and when I say our, I mean mine, favorite JavaScript framework right now, React and React Native. It says, bundling index.android.js, development non-minified, HMR disabled, 0.0% uh, or 0 of 1, comma, failed. And I'm guessing that their build is failing on React Native uh, for Android. And steps to reproduce. 
React Native init my app, CD my app, React Native run, Android. Okay. I just noticed the first uh, block, though. Is this a bug report? Yes. Have you read the con- contributing guidelines? <laughs> no. Oh. This is great. <laughs> they need to add, have you read the documentation for the framework that you're talking, the library you're talking about? Because that would also make a big difference. And maybe uh, include, you know do you know doing. how to read? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, all, you know, would be part of the problem with the, uh, that other GitHub issue that we're leaving for the end. Anyway. Have you been drinking? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> some people do better on Android. Anyway. Uh, okay, so it looks like they're just trying to build and then run an Android version of their React Native app, and it's not working. Uh, it just says, uh, bundling fail, transform error, and they're on Windows. Is the issue that they're using this on Windows? <laughs> Uh, let's see, judging from, judging from the error messages, yeah, it looks like it was a weird pathing kind of thing, where they can't find the node module because of paths, yay, windows. Well, the audience got a real kick out of that, they always love it when we trash windows. Um, maybe they haven't installed the git command line interface on their, uh, console. Would that have anything hmm. to do with this? It I, I, I don't know. No, look, there's a response. Right? I have the same issue on Windows. The answer is Windows. Yeah. Not even once. It might be a particular build. Like Windows <laughs> 10 or Windows 7. Well, it seems like a pathing thing, so it could be Yarn, too. Which Well, it's interesting because you see some of these paths have triple backslashes. Or no, those are quadruple. Never mind. I was going to say, never mind. Uh, it's still confusing It's well. it's, <laughs> it's double escaping. That's possibly, yeah. yeah, like you said, it's a path issue. Uh, okay, let's move on to our next GitHub issue uh, from Habitat. It says, running a service with an application and environment flag restarts all other services with application and NV set. Rebro steps. Uh, hab, H-A-B, service load, core, slash, Redis, and then application, foo, environment, bar. Hab, service load, core, slash, rethink, DB, application, whatever, environment, something else. And then they actually didn't fill out a whole bug report. What's the expected behavior versus the actual behavior? Well, the expected behavior is that you have a new service running and it doesn't restart the, uh, the previous one. So in that example, Redis should just be running even when you start re- rethink without a restart, but it does restart it, which part of that is uh, uh, this is actually seems to be a, a bug uh, p- potentially in the language implementation, but... The way uh, Chef is, uh, actually is architected Habitat, it could be that it's viewing the first one as a, de- as a de- sorry, viewing the, there's a dependency uh, being created for no apparent reason here. And because of that, uh, Habitat's going to restart him thinking, oh, this one depends on this one. Let me restart it. Gotcha. And, and what uh, does Habitat do exactly? So Habitat, uh, they will swear they're not a container, but they are a container. <laughs> Okay. And, uh, is a square a rectangle? It's not Sorry. that conversation. Okay. But uh, it's uh, also a supervisor, so you run a bunch of processes, and it's kind of like a decentralized way to just run a bunch of services. Right. Great. Yep. Anything you want to add? Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they come back with, because this is, uh, they label it as yesterday's a bug and everything. But it's um, uh, just from my knowledge of Habitat being strictly architectural, I'm thinking it's a dependency type thing, but I could be wrong. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll have to check back next week. Our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Nomad. It says, auto-revert tries to revert non-existing versions after job purge. What is Nomad, Christian? 
So Nomad is a scheduler built by uh, uh, HashCorp, the guys who made like Vagrant Console. Sure. Uh, yep. Uh, Terraform, those guys. And so Nomad, uh, what that does is takes your cluster and you can use it in a Kubernetes cluster or AWS or just a standalone. And it just figures out uh, a good place to run your services. And they should be bundled in some sort of manner. So you could do anything from a container to a jar to an executable. And I'll just figure out where to run it. Hmm. Yep. And with this issue, it'll try to revert a job even if it doesn't exist. Okay. And if it tries to revert a job that doesn't exist, it should just exit, right? Yeah. And but what is it actually doing? It, it's getting stuck on trying to revert it and being in a bad state. Great. Well, uh, any traction? Thanks for reporting. Fun bug. Fix was changing a variable from job to J. Ha! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's a that's a it's a, it's always good when those fixes are one line and you could uh, save a lot of code but oh we use j instead of job. Okay. <laughs> All right. And our last it's not exactly the same type of GitHub issue oh, of you're the skipping week. over you skipping over Cilium? What? You skipping over Cilium? Did I miss did I miss one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. That's the really interesting one. Oh, I'm sorry. I did. I just skipped over that one. How silly of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like it. Yes. Points okay. for effort. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. From Cilium. First, first and last show. First and last. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never getting invited back. <laughs> we, we, uh, I, I just got one of those hooks from Ikea, actually, and uh, it'll work out really well. Was anyway. flat-packed? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like one of those uh, pull cues. Anyway, uh, from Cilium, uh, BPF, not to be confused with DTF, uh, BPF, ability to Ooh. perform source pat, must be able to generate host unique five tuples. Is that quintuple? Tuples. Tuples. No, I After mean, it's a uh, count of five tuples. Tuples, okay. Uh, after a DNAT operation by performing source PAT, pat, Ideally, tuple allocation is split from packet mangling. I barely understood that. So you... there's a lot of there's a lot of background to this. Part of it is so Cilium is a uh, added into container runtimes that instead of using the traditional network namespace that containers use, it's using BPF, uh, the Berkeley packet filter. Ah. And so what that's doing is you're actually setting up BPF code. To uh, in this case, if you have a DNAT, so you have a single external IP address that goes to a bunch of internal container IP addresses, and this is the ability to actually look at the source packet. I forget what the A and T stand for, but generating tuples into the, the actual Cilium code uh, to understand it from the, uh, the uh, packet uh, being uh, going through the net network namespace. And this is a feature request, so I just thought it was a really cool one. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So is this actually so this is a feature request and not necessarily a, a bug. Right. Great. Great. Anything that you want to add? Uh this would be really cool. I, I uh so uh I know a lot of people who are really interested in Cilium. Uh I think it's going to be really awesome to see because it's just going to make uh a lot of like the uh network isolation stuff more performant. Gotcha. Yep. That's really cool. Yep. Great. Well, thank you Christian for 
staying here with us. I know that you're incredibly busy. I think on our last show you were detained because you had a bug fix that we're not legally allowed to talk about. I'm sure you've had many more of those since. <laughs> and uh, it's fine. I want to ask about them because I can't. Uh, would you like to stay or do you want to do you want to uh, head out? It's totally uh, fine. I, I should probably run. I'm okay. Sorry. Well, the audience wishes you well. Oh, sorry. No, they don't want you to leave. I'm really sorry. For <laughs> no, they don't want you to leave. Uh, the audience does wish you well, though, in their hearts, uh, not out of their mouths. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week or two. Whatever. All right. All right? Thanks All right. for joining us. Wonderful. Christian. Fantastic. See you guys. See ya. Okay. Well, now that Christian's gone, we can actually start the show. And uh, I bet he's still there, actually. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, Tyler, you know after we always do our GitHub issues, it's time for your Plus Ones of the Week. That's right, our pull request Plus Ones are where we send out well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. Who's our first Plus One for this week, Tyler? Uh, first one is Elon Musk, uh, along with a bunch of other people. Uh, you might have heard today, you might not have, uh, probably will have by the time this show airs. Uh, Elon Musk leads 116 ex- experts calling for the outright ban of killer robots. Uh, excellent stuff there. Uh, basically what this is saying is if you have a weapon and it's a robot and it's got AI, don't make it kill people, don't make it lethal, because what if it turns on people? Isn't that what that whole Will Smith movie was about? Yeah. What was that called? Uh, iRobot. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of other stuff like that, too. Um, I mean, tons of movies that are all about robots taking over and getting smarter and stronger. 116 experts. It's a very specific number. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, an open letter signed by Tesla chief and Google's Mustafa Suleiman. Urges the UN to block use of lethal autonomous weapons to prevent the third age of war. I guess it's only a matter of time before our drones turn on us. Some of the world's leading robotics and artificial intelligence pioneers are calling on the UN to ban the development. We already said that. Uh, I'm trying to see who else. 26 countries, 116 people. And I don't see many names on here. Sometimes I wonder, though. Like, I mean, I understand. It's, it's definitely an issue. But, like, don't you think we'll have, like, Ilanmore first? Before we get iRobot chopping up and killing people. We already have iLawnmower. We've had Roombas for a decade. Right, but they haven't turned on us yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not until that firmware update. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all it takes is that one firmware update in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve, and then all those Roombas, they have a secret, like, poison canister, and they'll just all <laughs> kill you. Um, okay. Anything else? Uh, on that subject, I don't have anything more on it those guys they did a good job i think fantastic yeah i think that uh, warning people of i mean there's gonna we're gonna have some kind of major disaster this century whether it's a civil war or a giant culture war or race war or just killer robots yeah something's a, gonna happen there's a good chance that the most dangerous weapon of the 21st century won't be a bomb yeah it's twitter oh man <laughs> you know what the meanest stuff does come from twitter these days that's what uh because that's what Cheeto jesus well, uses no, when he takes his golden no. crabs the, at 4 a.m the second meanest uh because there's a new reprieve for people that were too mean on twitter and <laughs> they have their own and you have to be privately invited 
Is that Mastodon? I don't know what it's called. It's really new. It's like with it's a, a year it's old. It's a hate exclusive Twitter. No, it's very hate included. It's like hate, most... well, yeah, hate, yeah, the uh, exclusively for hate. Oh yeah, yeah. So they just hate on each other, or no, mostly like people that aren't white and rich. Oh, so you're not on the platform, so you country. won't even know you're being hated on. Yeah. Just... But that's kind of okay though, because I'm not, you can hate as long as you want. I don't really have to pay attention to it. That's cool, actually. <laughs> Keep it contained. Like, there's your, there's your echo chamber. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? We'll just spy on all of you guys, so we know exactly what you're gonna do. If only you guys can see it. <laughs> We're not gonna host Nazi websites on AWS anymore. But if you want us to only talk to each other. <laughs> You know what? Actually, speaking about that, because there's been a recent uptick in, in uh, online censorship for their uh, for hate speech, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we shouldn't detract from your second plus one of the week. Ireland's tough lobbying rules spark cries for similar laws elsewhere. What is this about, Tyler? It means Ireland made some banking laws, finally did some regulation, and three years later, it's working. It's really well. So, so all of these companies, the big tech companies that evade billions in taxes by opening up a shack in Ireland, uh, they're putting an end to that? No, the big banks. Oh, banks. Yeah. Because, you know, Apple and Google and Facebook and all of those companies invest heavily in Ireland. That's ignorant. They're very innocent. <laughs> oh. Okay, so just banks? No, uh, no. Um, these tech I'm companies sure. have as much money as banks these oh, days. I'm so. sure most of these, banks have, most of these banks' money is coming from tech companies. Yeah, they do. Definitely. Minus the, uh, minus the drug money that they're laundering, like Wells Fargo was caught doing a few years ago. But anyway. Uh, so, let's see. Uh... <laughs> Uh, so what do they have that is really reforming the lobbying? It looks like they say uh, mandatory registers for lobbyists, regis uh, registries for lobbyists, though none are as tight as Ireland, okay? Uh, what else? I didn't read the article. It was long. And you didn't read the article, stuff. Tyler. Come on. I give them a plus one. They but we do the job. radio show so our listeners don't have to read the articles. That's no, why we're here. Can. They will read plenty of articles, and I won't have to subject them to one specific news source's article. They can go read multiple. But Tyler, on it. the show is not telling people what to look up. It's giving them information so they don't have to look it up. No, but this is a very complex piece of information that would be better for them to research on their own. Okay, that's fair. And the theme music's over, so we're out of time. Whoa. We've got one more. One more? One more. Okay. You don't need the theme oh, music for it. I can no? hear that again. <laughs> I like that beat. I gotta be honest. Uh, and... Right? <laughs> I should drink more coffee. Uh, Alright, Tyler. What's your third plus one? Uh, the last one is going out to SNL. Um, weekend really? update this week was incredible. Uh, special thanks to Tina Fey. Um, if, just go YouTube it. Watch it. It was... What did, of, uh, what did she do? Did uh, she write it? Was that uh, why it was good? It, it was her in person... And a cake was involved, and it's a must-see TV. Go watch it. It was a beautiful statement on this week, and it's, it's just a really great event. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's been your Plus Ones of the Week. I really dig the new theme music. Yeah, that's hot. <laughs> Thanks. I, uh, I mean, I, I say I dig it not, you know, not, not tooting my own horn because I'm the one that picked it out. But finally, we've got something for you, Tyler. I really apologize. We've gone so long without... Having a proper theme music for your segment. But. Sounds like a car commercial, like a hip new car that drives around at night. <laughs> well, you know, some it's of the criticism a, I've got on this podcast. So some of the criticism I've got on the show is that I sound like a used car salesman, but I don't think so. But you know, if you come down today and you could get a new Nissan at forty nine ninety nine, I don't know. It's not how much Nissans are. Uh, if anyway. they're ten years old. Yeah, exactly. You're, used they're cars. used. So yeah, go. yeah, perfect. You're a right new pre-owned. Didn't even know it, dude. Oh, yeah. A new pre-owned. Brand new pre-owned Nissan, Nissan Sentra. 
I used to have the Nissan. Nissan Sentra. Do they still make those? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Mine was from Yes, they do. They do? They do? I believe. Okay. They probably look way better than they used to, considering I, every car is made out of plastic. My 99 Sentra was, I don't know, I kind of I liked it. And it was five-speed, too. It was great. It had, and it had an aftermarket uh, stereo. And I, ma- I figured out how to drive a manual. I couldn't do that when I got the car. And then I also, by the time I, I, I ended, I was able to do all those things you're not supposed to do while driving and shift at the same time. It was great. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Eric masturbates while driving. That's harder to do. But I'll tell you this, that because I'm a lefty, you don't use your left hand for shifting in America. <laughs> oh. Bada bing. If you can drive with your knees, you're good. Wow. Ah! Wow. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, Nissan we, will never be a sponsor. No, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I mean, listen, my, I, my Nissan Sentra lasted uh, really blew 17 that years. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Hey, did, did it have that aftermarket uh, radio where you pull the face off of it so people didn't steal your... Yeah, and you know what happened? That when my car got vandalized, they stole that. And the problem is when you, when you steal the, the face plates of these stereos, the stereos are also then useless. So what does it do for you? Well, maybe they've got like... Uh, you know, like a like a bag of odd socks and laundromat. They've got like a bag of odd faces to stereos, and they just like. That's true. They could right. Possibly. I guess I don't. I don't know. I don't know how much a faceplate for a ten year old stereo goes for these days. But uh, anyway, just to backtrack for a second, uh, NASA three hundred and sixty video of the solar eclipse. You can watch it live on Facebook on the twenty first, which is to tomorrow. Uh, when you open Facebook on August 21st, a special message from the company will greet you about the total solar eclipse. Oh, we missed out on the uh, total eclipse of the heart. Oh. Oh, man. I wish I knew the lyrics. We'll here. be quite all right. What I mean, that's a, you know, we can't, we're not allowed to play real music on here. Yeah, but you can just hum it, can't you? I don't know In the... the I don't, what, you can sample anything for 15 seconds. I thought it was seven. All right, meet the middle. Ten and a half. Oh. Turn around. No. But yeah, the mic the mic's facing this way. Okay. Why aren't you playing the old school version? Anyway. That, this is the worst first one on Spotify that I could I could is it was it this well, one? Well, oh no, this is the Glee version. Oh, what did I do? Oh, is that the one where they got uh, uh, No, I'm not doing that. This is the original with Bonnie Tyler. I love the wedding singer one. That was good. All right. Eric anyway. likes 70s and 80s pop music, ladies and gentlemen. Especially when sung by women. Anyway, uh, and 90s. There was some great 80s stuff, man. Duran Duran, people slept on. I mean, now they're sleeping on it. You know, Obviously, in the 80s, they didn't sleep on it. And Duran Duran is neither a Duran nor a Duran. Discuss. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, in addition to NASA TV's feed, Facebook will also promote the space agency's 4K resolution, 360-degree Facebook live broadcast from Charleston, not Charlottesville, South Carolina. <coughs> the live stream will be fully interactive, so you can look around and feel like you're actually on the ground in the path of totality, though nothing can beat the real experience. The message Facebook users will see on Monday will read, Experience the total eclipse of the heart. Today, millions of Americans will see the sky like they've never seen it before. Join us for this rare and beautiful... Yeah, and think of Facebook at the same time. It's natural phenomenon that will not occur for God knows how many years. There is a map of uh, eclipses in the 21st century. And there is one. I don't think we're going to see tomorrow's. But there is one that does pass over the tri-state area in 2079. Awesome. So stay tuned. 
It's only 62 more years away, and we'll all be living in Florida by then. This so. is one of the only moments where I'm like, damn, I wish I kind of still lived in Oregon, because they, they have the best viewing point in uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. At oh, the town which is, is most booming. of Oregon. <laughs> Outside of Portland. Uh, but no, they, the town's booming with hotels. They've been booked like crazy um, in advance uh, for like maybe like two years. For two years? Yeah, Both it's, hotels it's... are completely sold out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's probably actually only two legit hotels. Everything else has been like put together. No, they're selling RV spots, I heard, for like a couple grand just for like that. Like, Jeez. The Airbnb is swamped. Yeah. Man, we don't overhype. The Airbnb any- is a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't overhype anything, do we? Yeah. Jesus Christ! I know. I've heard. I've heard there's a lot of, especially in these small towns that dot the uh, path of the eclipse, that they are really blooming right now. I know someone that's actually traveling uh, to go see the eclipse. He lives in Minnesota, and Minnesota. And uh, did I say that right? Minnesota. I, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, you know, I lived there for don't you know? Actually, when I was a kid. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, it was. Um, well, I was so young. I don't even. I can remember how sometimes you don't people even, I can't even do it. they would talk to my brother and I when we were really young. There, we lived in a ferry boat. Ferry boat. Yeah, you lived in a ferry say? boat. No, no, they call it ferry boat. Like a houseboat? No, like one just, of those one of those boats live, with like the wheel in the back. No, like from your the house, 19th century. A boat. <laughs> I wish it was. It would have been much cooler to live in Minnesota. But it's very at that cold moment. to live on the Minnesota. They water. couldn't understand our um, our accents. My brother and I, because my dad's English, my mom's Nigerian. So when we were younger, our accents were like, you know, really thick. They'd write stuff on on our uh, on like a sticky note and put it on us like in daycare and put us on the bus like okay wow. get that for tomorrow. Yeah, my brother and I would look at each other like, um, what language are they speaking? Because I don't know why they can't. Right? Us. Could you understand them? I was going to say they probably yeah have for a, the most part they yeah. butcher the English language like uh, no it, it was just um they have it wasn't necessarily the accent it's the different. Vocabulary. Oh, okay. Like, for example, like the dialect. Call a sweater here, like a sweater. I knew it as a jumper for like the first seven years of my life. Ah, yeah. How about a backpack? Um, we didn't even have backpacks. We didn't have any homework until kindergarten. We're in Oregon, so at that point, there was a backpack. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had backpacks. Okay. You know what? Or just call it Jansport. You said your mom is Nigerian yes. and your dad is from England. Yes. You could give Trevor Noah a run for his money. You know, if I if I had my accent again, I just uh, have to drink. His see his yeah. he's trying his like barely exists. I don't know how some South African accents are terrible. I don't know how he well, sounds like a almost American almost almost British like person. Well, you know, he's got, he's got a TV voice. He probably doesn't sound so thrilling in person. I mean, yeah. well, I don't know. I've listened to his stand-up specials before he got The Daily Show, and they yeah, were pretty... They are great, actually. Yeah, and he's a fantastic comedian. I hate what he's done to Jon Stewart's show, but like, he's well, a great comedian. I, you know, he, it's, he passed the baton. And he was a good choice, and I was very supportive of the choice, because, given the other people that were out there. But, and I watched well, it diligently. The problem is, and I know this is probably just a, a dilemma with TV as a whole right now, Trevor Noah went wall-to-wall Trump coverage, and he didn't let up, doesn't, present tense, doesn't let up. And the whole shows are just like, well, let's see the dumb stuff that our president said today. Isn't that funny? Oh, man, oh, man, more white supremacy. Who would have thought about that? That's the whole show. But it's not just him, you know, that's most cable news shows. It's most late-night shows. Even, like, you know, all... uh, Sorry, you want to say something? No, I was just saying it's... um... People are struggling for uh, viewers, I guess. So they got to keep you hooked with like hot button nonsense. Exactly, like, and the to watch live, like ah, right it's now, like Game of Thrones, watching live. 
Right. Game of Thrones. We're the only three people in Brooklyn not watching Game yeah. of Thrones right now. Seriously. Let's, uh, let's also include the fact that you probably have a bias towards any other host from The Daily Show that's not Jon Stewart. Like, let's just be There was honest. only one other Anyone host. else oh, wouldn't have been the same no was, matter uh, what. Like, was it Al Franken? Was he? Craig Kilborn. Craig, oh, Craig, Craig Kilborn. My for, the first, for the first year and a half, I think. John Stewart's like your, your favorite archetype. Like, he's a New York Jew. <laughs> he's a New Jersey Jew. Oh, close enough. He's, he's a Mets, from a, he's a Mets I, fan, so I consider him a real New Yorker. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. No, and all it's right. a, no, no. Go no, down I, with this city if you're a Mets fan. <laughs> <laughs> Call yourself Jersey all you want. You're a New Yorker. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I have a, I, I've always wanted to meet John Stewart, and the only what I would say to him is we're a lot alike, and except that I come from the only place that's worse than New Jersey, which is Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, isn't his brother like a crazy lobbyist or something? Yeah, he John, John Stewart has connections. They're like it's like yin and yang, so it's like John. His like his, I think he his something with finance. I don't know. No, his his brother I think is very in uh, like something with. Well, anyway, back to Trevor Noah. I'm gonna take his job because I got a better accent than you. That's a much better accent than yeah, Trevor well, Noah. Can really you keep? Like I know it's not like you're gonna do hip hop. His <laughs> that's like almost Ali Manchester. G. It's almost Ali G's accent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's get back into right, the some show. More tech stuff. This is yeah. not. A, I, I'd love to do a show on accents, but unfortunately, we have to do something next week on Pull Request. No, it'll be. It won't be called Pull Request. It'll just be something else. Uh, but anyway, Esperanto. <laughs> let's call it. Game. You know what? That'd be a good. Uh, anyway, what? let's let's continue on with our continuing cafefe of ransomware. Every week, there's a new thing about ransomware. There's a new virus. There's a new uh, advent in viruses. There's a new library that is taking your stuff. And encrypting it and selling it back to you. It's going after internet money. This week, it's the Shinigami Locker. Uh, Shinigami Locker is a ransomware-type virus that stealthily infiltrates systems and encrypts stored data using DES cryptography, which is insecure, actually. In doing so, Shinigami Locker renames encrypted files using a hexadecimal numerical system and appends the .shinigami extension. For instance, sample.jpg might be renamed to something like 1858680.shinigami. In addition, the malware alters the file modification dates. Following a successful encryption, Shinigami Locker locks the computer screen and displays a ransom demand message. Uh, which pretty creepy message. And it's written in meme speak. Uh, I didn't even want to click on the link in our notes. This. Oh, come on. No, it's fine. No, but you, you know. I mean, risk is in the domain. You don't know. PCRisk.com. Oh, your yeah. computer will die. You are running Windows, Martin. Well, uh, anyway, it yeah. says... It, risky, risky. It said your desktop gets changed to uh, something that looks like it's... Is that anime or something? I don't really know. asking for 50 bucks? Shinigami Locker. You have been hacked. Your files were encrypted. Get rid of this in just a few steps. <laughs> Go to localbitcoins.com. Pay the exact amount... Requested below, make sure it goes to the correct address and wait until the payments have been confirmed and you can get your content back. You only need to pay $50. Any attempt of closing or deleting the software will damage your PC. What's the address? I don't know. Why don't you get hacked and figure it out? I was planning on that next week, so maybe. Uh, let's for fifty bucks. I bet you a lot of people just pay it like oh to hell with it. Well, that's the thing with these ransomware. You always say that you don't negotiate with terrorists. You never pay ra- ransom, but there isn't a way to get this data back if if it's successfully encrypted. However, there's a flaw in the plan, and the DES has been compromised about thirty years ago, and that's why we have a much stronger standard encryption called AES now. And DES 
I don't know. They, I don't know exactly how, but it would probably be a way to brute force it at least to get your data well, back. Well, because like DS is on how many? You're not on. You're not on the mic, oh. Martin. Sorry. Oh, you got to really. You got to kiss it. Oh, like oh, like that. You like right get yeah. in that. Oh yeah, right there. Oh, Oof. okay. Good thing you have this um, protective cover on it. Exactly. Because we don't need protection. You don't want it. Oh. You know. Okay, so with DES encryption, right? Um, so, like, how many how many characters is this? Right. This is. Like, it depends on the key size. Okay, I don't know. But how... the typical key size is that generally why they are being cracks. It's like no, it's the algorithm itself that's not secure. It was secure for the seventies when it was written. And by the 90s, they were encrypting things with DES three times. Oh, so it was our computing DES3. power is like insane now compared to what we right. had in the 70s. Exactly. It was punch cards. Right. Well, yeah, they had mainframes in the 70s. Yeah, but they were like the size of like a building type nonsense. Right. Ah, rooms. 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 Uh, rooms and buildings. If Christian were here, he'd have a lot to say. Exactly. And they would be like the size of my I can't breathe air filter, but it's a computer. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, but you can breathe now, so you're probably kind of wasting it's your time. It's a hang in the balance. Well, my dad used to he used to code on those, and he would tell me crazy stuff about like those room size computers. Computers? Yeah. Yeah. He told me a story about how um, one, uh, one idiot pulled um, some sort of like emergency uh, thing because he thought it was going to shut down the computer. And it was actually, like, the emergency, like, fire retardant and everything. And just totally wow. took out, like, a really, like, a shit ton of value of worth of stuff. Yeah, I was going to say. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, ba- back to this ransomware stuff. It looks like you can just restart in safe mode with networking. And, and you're good. And you're going. <laughs> Windows 10 users, click the Windows logo and select the power icon. Restart. Hold it. Hold shift. Click choose an option, click advanced, go to safe mode with networking, and then log into the account infected, start your internet browser, and download a legitimate anti-spyware program. Wow. So this is going past Windows Defender. They're missing it completely, so if you're not running any like spyware or anything outside of that. I don't know how good Windows Defender actually is. I've heard mixed reviews on it. But... Yeah. Uh, what is it? But if you download... I don't even know... I don't, I don't know. But if you download, it just says a legitimate antivirus program. Might be Windows Defender, but that comes standard now, so I don't know. Um, anyway. After ransomware, of course, we always talk about... Theresa May murders the internet! And I don't think she did anything this week. But <laughs> the... Uh, she's coming up with ideas. She's, yeah, she, yeah she's, <laughs> she's studying for the next time that she's trying to take our internet security away. Um, there's an, walking out of a Tesco with an awful lot of pencils and paper. <laughs> she's, she's up to something. Exactly. You can't encrypt pieces of paper. Actually, you can. Uh, <laughs> a surprising new challenger has entered the arena as... Uh, uh, sorry, that's not what they said. I just wanted to borrow something from Street Fighter. A surprising new voice okay. has joined the outcry against government plans to try to weaken encryption messaging services, one which rather undermines the idea that debate is a straight choice between encryption... And security. Jonathan Evans, a former head of the British intelligence agency MI5, has said that he is opposed to a crackdown on encryption and an intervention in which has well, sorry, on encryption in an, in, in an intervention which has surprised many and seriously undermined the already weak arguments being put forward by British Home Secretary Amber Rudd and her colleagues in the Five Eye Nations. <coughs> 
As we reported before, Amber Rudd has been pushing hard against encrypted messaging services since the terror attack on Westminster Bridge back in March. It has been a long-standing ambition for the British to weaken such services dating back through six years that the current Prime Minister, Theresa May, was Home Secretary. Rudd met with Silicon Valley tech companies earlier this month to continue to push the agenda we reported on that, uh, but appears to be getting nowhere, thank God, as her flimsy arguments have drawn criticism and even ridicule from experts. Great. Uh, speaking on BBC Four's radio, sorry, speaking on BBC Radio Four's Today program, e Jonathan Evans, who retired from MI5 in 2013, now sits in the House of Lords, raised one of the big concerns that the experts have flagged, which is the knock-on effect that any weakening of encryption could have on broader cybersecurity. This is exactly like, remember that article Tyler we reported on when that guy found uh, those TSA master keys from pictures and printed them out? Yeah, 3D printed. Right. And the whole thing goes, we say this every week, encryption is math, you can't, you can't outlaw math, just like uh, even though Martin Turnbull, the Prime Minister of Australia, is trying to, he says famously, the laws of Australia trump the laws of physics. That's Or mathematics, sorry. Yeah, mathematics. I don't think he knows about physics yet. No, I, th- yeah. I, I think that if, if he, you think laws... They, no, I, you know, if the laws of Australia trump the laws of physics, he might just float away. Who knows? That might be all it takes to defy gravity. You just don't believe in it anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that what, uh, like, uh, it, gravity is Robin just a social Hook? No, Robin Hood was this guy, Captain Hook in The Lost Boys, Dustin Hoffman? No, you know, what was this, uh, you know, Rufio? the Hulk. no, well, who's the who's the Captain guy? Hook? It's Captain Hook, but who's the good guy? I was Peter Pan. Peter, there we go, Peter Pan. That's what they did. They just were like, forget physics, they flew. Yeah, that's all they have to do. They just had to forget <laughs> physics and think happy thoughts and fly away. Um, like no encryption. Exactly. Imagine a world where anyone can look at anything for any reason. That's not good. Um, yeah. Anyway, more scary stuff from her, but at least we're at least we're seeing a pushback, which is really nice. Um, okay. Well, uh, on the heels of that, you know, in my dream on this podcast, we have segment. We would have segment music for all the different segments that we have, but it's impossible. Uh, because why is it impossible, Tyler? Why don't we have segment music for everything? Uh, Eric's not good at finding enough. I am not good at finding enough music. Well, here's more of that <laughs> music with our newsreel. It's about the Google diversity memo. Everyone has been talking about the Google memo, and it was the first time, I don't want to say ever, but in a long time that you could go up to anyone in technology and say, hey, did you get the memo? And they would know what you're talking about. Also, you could say you want to talk about diversity. Oh, there. People are a little more warm than normal. (laughs) Yes. So let's hear it. Uh, Sorry. Dreaded diversity memo drives discourse. Let's hear it from our news department. New money on presents. News to use. Mountain View, California. By now, most people in tech have read, seen, or heard about the dreaded Google diversity memo. Lampooned is either more mere scratching from a fragile white male, or worse, the manifesto of a madman, the memo itself raises numerous points that we would be remiss to deny. In an effort to rationalize apparent differences between people of varying race and gender, the author, James Dannemore, has dug a giant hole that has cost his job. Dannemore's first mistake was suggesting that differences between men and women in the workplace 
Everything from a pay gap to fewer female CEOs to air temperature was due to biological and innate personality differences, rather than the socially acceptable answers of misogyny and whiteness. He argues that men magnify the importance of status while women generally care more about a work-life balance, propelling men to higher positions with less family time while those who want a life outside of work may have to sacrifice the lush title, salary, and Mercedes-Benz. We believe his mission was for the memo to show people how they can be better utilized to create a stronger organization, playing to people's strengths and using our differences to build a better, more cohesive union. And that's why this has been News to Use. I ran out of music. Brought to you by Pneumonia. I'm going to use that news. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he, I, as someone who is known to dig holes, metaphorically, I totally understand this guy said probably the wrong thing. He was the wrong person to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and he is paying dearly for it. But I think he said something that needed to get out and that someone dared to protest the new status quo under which... I don't even know how to... Ex- I don't even know how to say this. Like, it's, an, it's, a, it's definitely a, a new kind of cultural status quo in the way that people interact and the way that people are allowed to think and express themselves. The PC world? The PC world. Not, not to be confused with personal computers. Yeah. <laughs> it's different, but we, all, we also have to kind of realize that we were kind of assholes as a society like 20 years ago. Well, yeah. First thing, though, definitely just the wrong place to do it. He was at work. That's... But it was, well, it was an internal memo. He yeah. didn't make a press release. The memo got leaked because it was a white guy sticking his foot in his mouth. And who doesn't want to read I about that? I wouldn't put my name on it if I it's was. It's an internal memo, something. and it's, it's Google. Like, they I mean, know it's him. Yeah. I Even if so. he didn't sign yeah. it, they'd know it's him. If he's it's trying Google. to make it anonymous, he's full of some of the best hackers around. They're going to find out who made it. Yeah. And it's Google. They'll know it's him. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's. Uh, and like I said, I, I feel like he had good intentions because he wanted to say that people just can be different because of differences. And everybody isn't exactly the same. And the differences that exist between people uh, are because of racism and misogyny. And I, I, I don't know. I would like to believe that people are different because, because you come from different places and you have different upbringings and you have different ethnicities. You have different races and different cultures. And that breeds a lot of differences. There is an element, however, of of disenfranch- uh, disenfranchisement, of mistreatment, of marginalization that shouldn't be denied. And that's kind of, I, I really believe, that's kind of where this push is coming from to say that you have to overcompensate for marginalized people and, ma- and give them the upper hand and give the people that weren't marginalized a lower hand in order to equal things out. But that's not equality either. But to, yeah, to rule out that, that neither of those two viewpoints are at fault or is, you know, kind of foolish. They're, they're probably, it's just, they're both the factors, you know, the factors of what he was saying and the factors of misogyny and male privilege and stuff like that. So like, who knows where the really balance is at, you know, maybe it's 90%, uh, you know, just being a female misogyny or maybe it's 90% that what, what this guy said, but I, he could who knows where it could be articulate yeah. as well. Sorry? I think some of his uh, points really, like, they could have just been, like, a bit more articulate, you know? Like, yeah. if you're going to take can a you, black you, and white take stance, like, like how I see keep saying like all the time. No, for... Like, you know. You know, uh, for example... You're off mic, sorry, Mom. Yeah, I know, right? This thing could be, like, right here. There you go. Um, I don't have it, like, uh, right on here. Or do I have it? Uh, yeah, there we go. Gizmodo. Well, I just thought it was really interesting. 
you want, uh, some of his. Do you want me to give you a TLDR? No, I've got the TLDR. All right, go for it. Um, I'm just trying to get to the like when he's talking about Google biases, left biases, right biases. Um, yes. Well, so he that, said that particularly that even just watching them, looking at them side by side, that I don't even know if. If those are really 100% accurate on either side. I I feel like people are more diverse even within their own left-right biases individually than, you know, that really represents. Well, he talked about reducing uh, people to the identity of their groups and not allowing for variance inside their own group identity. And then he kind of does it between the left and the right himself. So he says, at Google, we talk so much about unconscious bias as it applies to race and gender, but we rarely discuss our moral biases. Political orientation is, us- is actually a result of deep moral preferences and thus biases. Considering that the overwhelming majority of the social sciences, media and, go- and Google lean left, we should critically examine these prejudices. Yeah, everyone who doesn't agree with us is a Nazi. <laughs> That's a great way to examine it. We are the morally uh, upright people and everyone else is just detestable, deplorable idiots. And they're Nazis and they're white supremacists and they're racists and they're misogynists and they're bigots. Well, there's also plenty of actual Nazis these days. Yeah. I don't think they went away. I, I just think they've been in hiding and now they've been activated by people like this. Nazis have come out. His left biases. And I think if you're, if you, and this is like if, if your idea of the world comes from cable news then you believe that the capital L left has compassion for the weak. Disparities are due to injustices. Humans are inherently cooperative. Change is good. Open, idealist. And the right biases. Disrespect for the strong slash authority. Disparities are natural and just. Humans are inherently competitive. Change is dangerous. And they're closed-minded and pragmatic instead of idealist. Neither side is 100% correct and both viewpoints are necessary for a functioning society, or in this case, company. What do you think? I, you know, I do think that what's right really on the mic. Sorry, there's a limited, there's yeah. a sharp cut off to that. What I do think is really interesting when he talks about moral preferences, and maybe this is a reason why this doesn't get discussed in business environments, because a lot of deep moral preferences, I think, correlate to um, someone's religious backgrounds a lot of times or like deep-seated cultural backgrounds and a lot of times those things are just kind of off subject i guess in a workplace it's just inherently people don't really get at that really right how would you ever find out someone's religion in the workplace other than like maybe holiday time or something like that you know it's not like you just walk around like hey i you know it's just not so I definitely, I can see it. Right. I can, I, can, I can understand that. And maybe what he's trying to get at is maybe we got to talk about something deeper. He just didn't know how to put it and articulate it. But, you know, on both sides of, like, left, right, whatever you want to say, if that even exists, um, there's a real good opportunity for everyone to just come together around technology, which I think is really funny that this started at Google but there seems to be actually a lot of um, separation even within, and these are like tech leaders. So, right. I, you know, I just find that. I think I the, find that interesting. The modern dilemma on the left, capital L, which is also very much in technology, is that they don't care what you look like. But if you dare to think differently, then you are verboten. You are ostracized. You are out. And that's the real problem because they really pride themselves on diversity in appearance. 
but they're very homogenous in thought, which is ironic when they call themselves open. I mean, they also call themselves inclusive, and then they immediately ban people that don't dance to their very specific tune. So, I don't know. The well, big the big thing that he's getting at is this. You don't seem to provide many examples when you when you express your hangups about that subject. About what? About the the left being too homogenous. Have you have you been on Facebook recently? I mean, have yeah, you been I, on Facebook groups where someone doesn't give the proper content warning or someone wants a content war- warning for the color yellow or someone wants a content see, warning, warning for oranges? I've avoided Actually, ever having a Facebook? I don't hang out on Facebook because oh. it's dumb. Do, do people, so you, you have to. Uh, get a you can't say warning? dumb because that's ableist. <laughs> yeah, it's try me, Tyler. These are all, that's where all of this is coming from. Yeah, see, I had a fr- I had a real life friend. That's the, that's this was the some, extreme version. No, of, no. This is it's in colleges. It's the future base of the yeah, Democratic the people, Party. Like the safe space talk. And these right. And I, these people mm-hmm. are being moved right from colleges. They grow up in suburbia in a privileged lifestyle. They go to some college. They're taught that everything that they don't have is because they're oppressed. And then they get sh- just moved, funneled right into this giant uh, organization, making a six figure job a, a salary immediately. Immediately, and they think, and they they haven't been broken of that mentality. I think you make a mountain out of a molehill with this because I've never met I've met maybe two people in real life that are like this, and the, and those are the most by far the most vocal people that I see on Facebook are the extremes, the, the ones that are the yeah, most extreme liberal that they don't really care what you say, like you say that. But those are only the the super far you know uh, outliers, and it's it the, you saying that all the time just sounds like left people saying you know every single conservative person is a Nazi. It's it's not. We know that there's most the vast majority of us lie in the middle, and you seem to to just bash anything liberal that comes up any day because of that. So I don't want to say well, political, well, but hold on, I don't want to say anything liberal. Yes, we are getting too political because I try to say that I'm a liberal. I'm a registered Democrat, as I just got my voter registration yesterday, so I can vote against Hillary in the mayoral elections. But anyway, the point is that uh, it's not. Everything liberal. It's a specific slice. And the best argument that I could counter that with is the global warming argument. People go, oh, global warming isn't happening. It's just a hot summer. We just had a hot summer. Oh, it's the mild winter. You know, you know it's, it's going to be really bad next year. We just didn't snow that much. And it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then it doesn't snow anymore. And then you're going to realize, you're going to wake up one day and go, what happened? Well, we've been polluting the world for so long that now it just doesn't get cold. Well, what can we do? Well, it's too late. And the same thing is happening with people. And you see a couple hot summers, you see a couple mild winters now, but then, and now when you can stop it. But it's going to get to a point, and there's going to be a tipping point in five to ten years, mark my words, I've been saying this for a couple of years, mark my words, five to ten years, there's going to be some kind of tipping point where these people will be the mainstream liberals, Democrats, leftists, whatever you want to call them, and it's going to be a disaster. Anyway, I, I tend to disagree, but I we'll want see. to be wrong, well, Tyler. I'm, I want to be wrong about this because I don't want this to happen. I guess my biggest point is that is that you getting so hung up about this particular subject uh, prevents you from having any a lot of real discourse about anything else. What do you mean? You just go, you get too hung up on this subject about how liberals are too monolithic, and then you don't even end up talking or addressing about any points. You just end your. I just gave you a bunch of points. I know. Now I said. You, now I said you did. Now that we're addressing. That okay. you've been doing this. <laughs> they believe they were a religion, and this is possibly, and you know what? I'm not going to say it because this is not a political show. If you want a political show, listen to the best podcast in the universe called No Agenda and donate to them. Anyway, let's get back to what this episode's about virtual reality. That's right, the beautiful world of virtual reality. No, I don't know. I've got nothing. I just wanted to use more of that Mario Paint music. <laughs> 
It goes. Awesome. It's, I like to listen to that all day. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. For, for Mark. Right. Okay. Um, it sounds like an Eastern European cover of Eddie Murphy's My Girl Wants to Party All the Time. Oh, my wow. <laughs> I never would have thought of that. How do you think that would go? I mean, I guess they party over there. Yeah, my wife's part, Polish. They do party over there, hardcore. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Know. Well, let's, let's talk about VR. Uh, VR and, uh, and AR, augmented reality, and ER, I see, Eric. Uh, they all... Uh, uh, <laughs> They all are technologies that are very cyclical. They've been around technically for a very long time. VR has existed since the 1860s. Elements of virtual reality appeared as early as the 1860s. French avant-garde playwright Antoine Artaud... How do I say that, Martin? Antonin Artaud took the view that that illusion was not distinct from reality, advocating that spectators at a play should suspend disbelief and regard the drama on stage as reality. And then he built an Oculus Rift, and then... Uh, and that's it! That's it. Now we're done. 1862. This is right up there with our IoT history that took like three, like two and a half minutes. This is great. That's, uh, that's <laughs> all you need to know. That's it. It's just, there was a thing, and someone said, let's put that thing on the internet, and that's how and we then, have and IoT. God made it one day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Santa brought it. <laughs> let's see. You know what? I could, while I do these rundowns, I could always get some music going. Uh, in, the, in, in the 1950s, Morton Halig... Uh, wrote of an experienced theater that can encompass all the senses in an effective manner, thus drawing the viewer into on-screen activity. He built a prototype of his vision dubbed the Sensorama in 1962, along with five short films to be displayed in it while engaging multiple senses, sight, sound, smell, and touch. Predating digital... (coughs) Doing so well, I'm sorry. Predating, Predating digital computing, the Sensorama was a mechanical device. Halig also developed what he referred to as the Telesphere Mask, patented in 1960. The patent application uh, patent application described the device as a telescopic television apparatus for individual use. I'll show you a telescopic apparatus for individual use. <laughs> Bam! Fast forward into the era where we were born, the 70s through the 90s, or, you know, when we were born in the late 80s. Uh, Viewmasters, you guys had Viewmasters, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's another form of virtual reality. That's uh, pushing it, but yeah. It's, not, it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Viewmasters don't. Uh, stereo, they are, they, are a, they are a stereoscopic visual simulator introduced in 1939. I don't know why that was in the 70s through the 90s. Stereoscopic section. meaning two screens, one for each eye. Yes. If you have both. If you have two eyes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, also notable at the... the uh, you might be a pi- uh, You're a pirate. You got a patch. It's okay. okay. The joke's got layers. Oh, like right. onions. This Oculus is rifty. <laughs> Oculus rift. All right, all right, all right. Take it easy. Jeez, I realize what happens when I'm not the only one to make those types of jokes on this show. Jesus Christ. Anyway. I didn't even drink the alcohol you offered yet. <laughs> no. Well, that's... Yeah, Jesus. Uh, okay, in 1991, Carolina Cruz Neria... Daniel J. Sandin and Thomas A. DeFenti from the Electronic Visualization Laboratory can re- created the first cubic immersive room. This was in 1991, called the Cave. Developed at, at as Cruz Nera's PhD thesis, Naira's PhD thesis, it involved a multi-projected environment similar to the holodeck, allowing people to see their own bodies in relation to the others in the room. This was also when the Star, Star Trek The Next Generation was on. So, makes sense. Yeah, I, I like how they just say holodeck here, and they, you know, it's highlighted. 
but yeah. you know, it's hyperlink. Maybe how many how many people don't know what a holiday is? Um, a lot of people. I think we all we know what that is. Oh. You know. Yeah, but I'm uh, okay. That's yeah. fair. Uh, it's, it's hilarious, actually. That's good. <laughs> the 1990s saw the first widespread commercial releases of computer headsets. In 91, Sega announced the Sega VR headset for arcade games and Mega Drive console. It used LCD screens and the... Vi- ah, whatever, you don't care. Sega was really good with portable electronics in the early 90s. Like, Game Gear was Ball. backlit color LCD. It took 4D batteries that lasted 20 minutes, but it was a great machine. It was, it was a great machine. <laughs> uh, I mean, 4D batteries? It, was, it used a lot of juice. That's a lot of D. But, yeah. Yeah, it took a lot. Yeah, it took a lot of D, but uh, it took Nintendo a porn level of D. Yeah, it took Nintendo something like sixteen years to catch up to them. It wasn't until the Game Boy Advance wasn't even back. I think it took the battery industry sixteen years to catch up. That too. That too. But anyway, I, if I had a Game Gear now, I would still play it. Uh, in the nineties, also, I think that was another. We're seeing these technologies that they're 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 prominent for a couple of years. They make a nice dance and they go back into into uh, into uh, being reclusive. And with virtual reality, the 1990s I think was definitely one of the like before the before this big resurgence in VR. The last time that VR was really big was in 1990s. Not to mention the Virtual Rangers. Have you ever heard of them? Virtual Rangers. Virtual Rangers. That's right, like the Power Rangers, but they were. Virtual Rangers. Oh no! This rings a bell. I think I fought my little brother for the remote several times. Sorry, VR Troopers. Yeah, VR Troopers. I totally kicked him in the head for the remote while he was watching that. It was a (laughs) it was a rip off or spin. It was a rip off or just it's kind of the same show as Power Rangers, but not exactly. Uh, Never left the house. (laughs) From from ninety four to ninety six, I think it's what I watched on television if I was late to school. Uh, playing hooky, faking to be sick. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I used VR in the mid-90s. It was very, very, very heavy. On Wikipedia, there's that, uh, what is it? There's that image with the guy with, like, this giant white visor on him. That's exactly what this was, except it was black. Yeah, I think I think the uh, story there is that that was the first time that they were able to do something like that, where they could put a screen in front of your face with a headset. But right. the technology was just so limited, it wasn't going anywhere near that. Well, exactly. actually, if you rewind to 1968, the first head-mounted display. But was... didn't you have to, like, sit down on a boot that was the size of the arcade game? Oh, no, no. This was actually from the mounted from the head. I mean, from the ceiling. And it went over your head to oh, okay. just stand there. But it, so by the 90s, like... they could put one on your head that your head could hold. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then now we finally have screens that can actually do real-life movie stuff. And, and now you just like put your phone screen. in front of a box and you put that in front of your face and somehow that works. Or you tell everybody that awesome. you've got the best VR headsets about to drop and then when they see your first prototype picture, there's a backpack and a fanny pack. <laughs> what is that? What? Magically. <laughs> oh, did that come out recently? No, that was like a couple... There's a link to it there. So Magic Leap, I mean, they were one sure. of the biggest who were like talking about like... They're oh, one of the most mysterious companies in the yeah, whole world. They're yeah. worth over $4 billion estimated, I, but they haven't put a product out. Exactly. They were like the... Um, oh, gosh. Uh, she's escaping They have a me. bunch of tech guys holed up in a building in Florida. What, what was that tech fake blood testing company out in uh, Silicon Valley? What was the name of that? I don't know. Can't recall. Um, um, but virtually, ther- thermo, thermos. What was it? Thermos. Thermo. No, hold on. Thermo nuclear war. Uh, hold on. Anyway, Theranos. So they said that they could do all sorts of crazy testing with just a drop of blood, and it was backed by a bunch of people, a lot of hype, oh, I and then it that. fell out. 
right? It was just all like nonsense. Right. Um, but yeah, they were super secretive. You actually, as an investor, you had to go in a locked room and read the notes. You couldn't like leave the premises with them. Couldn't take pictures. Wow. It was insane. But yeah, I feel like a lot of stuff in VR. There's a lot of hype right now as well. Second time around. Well, you know what? There was this game called Battlezone from the early '90s. That was the first VR video game. And uh, where was it? I just had it. Oh, I, I clicked on the image. That's what happened. Battlezone. Battlezone. Uh, yeah, an arcade video game from... Oh, sorry, not 1990, 1980. It used 3D vector graphics to immerse the player in a VR world. Wow. Uh, VR, there was a VPL research data suit, a full-body outfit with sensors measuring the movement of arms, legs, and trunk. Development circa 1989. And it, it, it definitely looks like it with the <laughs> yellowed beige uh, headset that all the electronics from the late 80s used. Including my, including my vintage Macintosh. That's the whitest they could get it to look. Well, I mean, it does yellow with age. So the fact that it looks much yellower now is just because it's old. I just refuse to believe it was that white to begin with. I don't know. <laughs> there was the whole uh, Snow White Macintoshes. There was, a re- there was like a whole thing about the color of those. But anyway. Uh, and of course, this decade has been a large resurgence in VR stuff. In 2010, Palmer Lucky designed the first prototype of the Oculus Rift. This prototype built on the shell of another built on the shell of another virtual reality headset was only capable of rotational tracking. However, it boasted a 90-degree field of vision that was previously unseen in the computer market at the time. This initial design would later serve as a basis from which the later design came. Oh, serve on a basis from which the later designs came. 2013, Valve discovered freely uh, uh, sorry valve discovered and freely shared the breakthrough of low persistence displays which make lag free and smear free display of vr content possible low persistence oh right because there's always that like there's that problem with lcds where it kind of lingers yeah the, the, the tracers yeah, yeah. Um, like when you've been drinking too much, <laughs> you're out with your mates. This was adopted by Oculus and was used in all their future headsets. Uh, uh, more stuff. Facebook 2014, Facebook purchased Oculus VR for $2 billion. The purchase occurred before any of the devices ordered through Oculus's 2012 Kickstarter had shipped. That same month, Sony announced Project Morpheus. It's codenamed for the PlayStation VR. Uh... Google announced Cardboard, a do-it-yourself stereoscopic viewer for smartphones. We've all seen that. Uh, And uh, 2015, the Kickstarter campaign for Glove One, a pair of gloves providing motion tracking and haptic feedback, was successfully funded with uh, over 150 grand in contributions. And then more stuff keeps happening. Uh, Facebook has 400 400 employees focused on VR development. Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Sony, Samsung all have dedicated AR and VR groups. Dynamic binaural audio was common to most headsets released that year. Have you ever heard the, uh, what was that called? Like the barbershop, the stereo barbershop? You know what I'm talking about, Tyler? Uh... It was recorded with, like, bi, uh, is it, like, binaural headphones? It was recorded with, like, um, like microphones in the, in the ears of a mannequin, and it was supposed to be recorded exactly as you hear it. Huh. This way, when it's played back, it you plays back. Sonic? It's something, it's like something barbershop, like digital bar, music, music just like, just like digital barbershop or something like that. And when you play it, you really hear, you really can feel and hear the whole spatial element of someone like cutting your hair, but it's in headphones. Huh. You like hear them coming in front of you or coming behind you. It's not just left and right. And uh, let me see if I can find it. That's, uh... That's got to be really unnerving. Huh. 
Right? I, don't, I mean, I, I should get haircuts more than I do. Ah, here we go. Um, uh, that's... Let's see what happens. That's one reason I don't like people close to my head like that with knives and scissors. and. It's a bit weird. Well, take a, yeah. Understandable just, to have a phobia of that. Right? I've got a history as well. So <laughs> we'll go into that, though. Yes, well, this is the... <sighs> Martin's virtual... actually not even my real name. Ah, well, this is the virtual barbershop. You can hear some sound. That sounded like moaning. Hello there. Hello there. How are you? Yes. Yes. Oh, you are here for the virtual haircut? Yes. Yes. Okay. I will go get Luigi. He will come and cut your hair. Uh, I, I am Manuel. Just, just stay right. This can't be right. <laughs> this is... That can't be right. That it's... sounded like like the intro to those type of films that I would get caught watching when I was younger. This tangent brought to you by QuickTangent.com. Yes, yes, okay. I will go get Luigi. Wow. Come and cut your hair. This is actually it. I, I am Manuel. No, you know what this sounds like? This sounds like Mario Twins. This is like, I'm, I'm not even sure. That sounds like the same guy who used to overdub the Kung Fu movies is now <laughs> yeah. Moonlighting is overdubbing a stereotypical Italian barbershop. No, it sounds like, it sounds like this. What? Hey, guess what? What? It's a new game. What game? I want to play it. It's that sounds like Eddie Murphy. Who is it? No, haven't you seen Mario Twins? Oh no. Let me see this. Hold on. Oh, it's this is from like 2001. This is before YouTube existed. This is from like 2001. Oh, what was it before YouTube existed? They were just separate websites. They were albino black sheep. They were channel 101. Did you guys ever see that? No. Nope. People would do these, um, like these, it was a mini series, right? And people would watch them and vote on it. And if you got voted up enough, you got to make another episode. Ah. Yeah. So it was basically like um, That's everyone the- who's like funny in Hollywood and stuff, there's like their pet project, like, like funny or die type shit, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So when you want, next time look up, on, if you can, there was one about Yacht Rock. Um, yeah, you'll love it. If you know anything about yacht rock and music, it's... I know about yachts and rock, but I have a feeling that's not what this is. Put them together, it's, it's amazing. When you play guitar, electric guitar on a boat, <laughs> yacht rock. Make sure you're grounded. <laughs> uh, what is the uh, Sword of Damocles, Martin? <laughs> that was, that's that head-mounted display. Um, oh. Uh, yeah. So it was such a big, heavy bit of nonsense, and they had to suspend it. That's why they called it the... Um, who was Damocles? Sword. Damocles sounds like one of those Greek guys you shouldn't have fucked with back in the day. Hey, watch it. Take it easy with the. Uh, <laughs> it's a family uh, shit. Oh, oh, yeah. we'll, keep, we'll beep that on on the um, on the. On the no, we won't do that. Okay, just, um, uh, yeah, just keep it PG thirteen. Sh- uh, sugar. The uh, sword of Damocles is widely considered to be the first VR head-mounted display system. It was created in 1968 by computer scientist Ivan Sutherland with the help of his student Bob Sproul. Sproul. Before he began working towards what he termed the School. ultimate display, Ivan Sutherland was already well-respected for his accomplishments in computer graphics. Uh, at MIT's Lincoln Laboratory, beginning in 1966, Sutherland and his colleagues performed what is widely believed to be the first experiments with head-mounted displays of different kinds. Did yeah, they have devo- computer graphics in 1966? Yeah, they were whack, though, but he made Sketchpad, and it's pretty... They also were uh, black on white. Yeah. They, were, they didn't even invert the display. He had, like, a stylus thing. It's kind of cool. There was some video from the early or really from the cool. late sixties about it was about like what computers will be in the future and some guy was controlling a computer with a with a keyboard. When I say keyboard, I don't mean like a computer keyboard. I mean like a like a th- synthesizer keyboard. 
Oh, like like an actual key. Like from that uh, Steven Spielberg movie I didn't watch, Close Encounters, the third kind. It's like yeah, but it wasn't making noise. It was just like he used it like you would use a mouse, but it was a keyboard. But it was not a computer keyboard. It was a synthesizer. And so what? Like something was moving around the screen because you pushed a key. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. And he also had like it was it was very interesting. I'll have to pull it up. I guess so. At that time, it was probably the only like key type thing you could hook into. I mean, they had typewriters. Yeah, but the typewriters weren't like... Well, they had teletype know. machines. They had almost computer keyboards, but I don't know. It's a cheap, cheap thing to hack, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Cool. Um, I've been actually wanting to get a typewriter. Yeah? Yeah. But there's an antique store on uh, Wilson Avenue if you want to go take no, a look. No, but like real ones. Like That's a what real, I'm like what a, That will work. Do, do they make new typewriters anymore? Well, they have some newer ones. There were some fancy Italian ones that came out. Really? Like in the, the 80s. Like a Ferrari... It's the Ferrari of typewriters. Well, basically, if you type something out in a typewriter, it can't really be hacked per se because there's no like digital. Well, mechanically, it. it could be. That's another story. Well, yeah, you I mean, can take well, a there's... picture of it, and your phone can break down the text now. Okay, well, and yeah, then print it back out. There's that, yes, but like, unless you know that type of model where it's sitting in my room, and you know, maybe you have a, you wouldn't need a video feed. I know you could do it with audio. If you had some sort of multiple audio, you could tell what keys I was pressing. But you'd have to know the model and the keyboard and everything. Um, but yeah, just interesting thought there. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Magic Leap, the uh, $4.5 billion startup backed by Google, building, is building technology that augments human vision with digital imagery. Isn't that what is behind Google Glass? Uh, mm. They're trying to finish yeah. in a, a working prototype before an important board meeting next week. Sounds like most developers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's the first photo of a working prototype, Magic Leap's portable augmented reality device, which you can see here is in a giant yellow backpack. Yeah, I didn't see that. So well, this is this is from this is February 10th. Oh wow! So just to give you an idea. Oh, so their board meeting already happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but this is this is why I was so blown away because this is the, at this point February 10th when this news happened, right? Mm-hmm. 4.5 billion backed. And they're talking this huge talk, and basically what they've done is just put a computer on your back. They just shortened the distance from basically what was happening with everybody else at the time. Plug it into a tower with like you know pretty nice GPU on it, get the graphics going at some sort of uh, visual pleasing level for a proof of concept. But I mean, yeah, it's just a backpack. It's really kind of a letdown. Well, I mean, you know, I think the iPhone was basically a suitcase when they first developed it, and then it. Then they managed to fit all that suitcase equipment into a small box. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I think that Magic Leap is working on some really crazy stuff these days. Oh, yeah, but even then, um, if you look at it, like if you go go to like their main website, I just, I don't know, what I feel like right now with AR, VR, MR, all of that. I really what is MR? I don't well, think we talked like, about that. Well, MR, mixed reality. Mixed reality. Right? How is that different from augmented reality? You can't be white. Wow. <laughs> oh. No, I guess like... All right, so there's virtual reality, right? Which is like everything is is fake, fake. right? Nothing you're seeing is, is fake. Everything's rendered. Right. Augmented right? reality is that you see real life, but then is overlaid with fakeness. Right. And, and uh, mixed reality is... I think mixed reality, I guess, um, how I see it is... It's real life. Oh, you're there, off mic. It's, it's real life. There are some rendered elements... That aren't there, and there's some rendered elements on top of already existing uh, things in that space. And I guess the idea is with a, a mixed reality setting, 
you basically can't tell really what's happening and what's not being rendered if it's done properly and done well. I see. And it's rendered so well. I think Microsoft had a room like that where it was all rendered and it looked so good that you almost couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, and, they, and if, I feel like that's maybe a more attainable short-term like uh, goal as far as uh, this type of technology because I feel like they, they over-promise so much and what actually ends up being you know it, it, on the consumer level is really just a far cry of what they really promise. Do you think that we need this kind of overpromising slash giant hype slash almost alarmism just to drive people forward, just to give people a reason to get excited about it, even if it is vaporware? No. I mean, just make something dope and people well, use you, it. Well, okay, you, okay. But like, that's look like, right now. Like, you can't just be like, oh, guys, all you have to do is just make something dope. You can't. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Oh, but, that's easy. Just make something that's really good and works really well and that's it. I mean, how hard is that? <laughs> we'll get dope. Huh? No, but... Look, like for right, for example, right now, what people are really using a lot of, I'd say, like in a mixed reality fashion, um, like stickers, right? Stickers are huge, um, and then also like emojis on top of like your your feed from Snapchat or um, your stories in Instagram. These things that people really like. They're cheesy almost to a degree. They're very. They're not even really photo real. Um, but people love it. Are you a Bitmoji? Because it looks like you. It's representational. It feels good. Are they, have you seen Gabsy, the uh, no. 3D? Yeah. Are those mixed reality, though? Is Bitmoji re- mixed reality? Well, Gabsy is Bitmoji. In, you can place it in an environment. So, in a VR environment. Or yeah, no, environment. no. In your, in your environment, through your camera. So you can like kind of place it, and then, like yeah, you can make them kind of like do something little. Nice. Um, Lenovo had... Uh, How is that different from AR? That sounds like... Just AR. The MR, if I, you don't mind uh, my interjecting, as Please. I've just uh, been trying to look this up, is a mixture of VR and AR, where virtual objects interact with the real world. An example would be if you placed a virtual okay. object, like we mentioned, like a cup, onto a real world object, like a table. The cup would remain in that same position as you walk or change locations. Basically, the virtual object attaches itself to the real world object and becomes part of the real world. Take a look at the Magic Beans demo or the Bridge Engine demo for awesome, awesome, bro, examples. Okay, so the, basically MR just sounds like AR that can plus interact VR. with the real world. It's AR plus VR. You have, you have a coffee cup, and you put it on the table. Coffee cup is fake, but I'm, wearing, I'm in the world so I can see it. If I'm wearing one of those gloves with haptic feedback, I could touch it. And then when I grab it and I you place it on the real table, it. what? You could even break it. I could even break it. You could knock it over and break it, make a spill. But I, would, I don't know if you, like, if you slam a virtual coffee cup down on the table, will it break? Will it make a noise? Will it make a Depends noise? On the program that's Ooh. rendering it. Ah, okay. So what about the tree that falls in the woods if no one's around? If there was... That means my secretive lumber company is taking, doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, <laughs> Credit to Reddit. It was way up there. Credit to Reddit. Week. Jeez. Nice. Oh, All right. I'm not going to pretend like that wasn't on the front page of Reddit this week. Oh. Uh, yeah. A lot of these listeners would be like, oh, this guy's an ass. Yeah. Rip guy's off. Funny. Funny. All right. Uh, then, they'll, then they'll destroy us in Twitter. <laughs> yes. But, uh, there but are, fan will be so upset. There are two types of VR. There's, uh, inter- there's interactive VR and non-interactive VR. Uh, non-interactive VR are called experience VR. These are experiences which allow the user to feel actively involved and engaged, but is still an entirely passive role. 
uh, examples like the Oculus Dream Deck, G2A Land, Face Your Fears, or Everest VR. Um, there's storytelling and story enabling, short stories, movies, other narrative pieces uh, in VR. That, I think, has a closer relationship to 360 video as well. I mean, VR kind of requires 360 video as an output, right? You can't have one without the other. Mm, I mean, they're not always necessarily uh, 360, true 360 at least. There's, well, I mean, there's, I mean, those people, there's usually like a hole. There's 180, there's... Uh, 270? Basically, yeah. Where you have almost everything and then like when you turn all the way around, you see the logo for the company that made it? Yeah, but VR pretty much, yeah. No, I'm serious. No, no, it's here, it's here too, yeah. VR, yeah, usually entails um, a 360 video. Although, you can wear a VR headset and watch a 2D movie and have a nice like... Uh, 360 degrees surround. Like, uh, actually, our app, Little Star, uh, which is a premium movie player, movie player for 360 uh, media player, uh, has a great um, has a great one. It's a theater, and it's like you're living, you're in a beautiful apartment. Uh, you're in the projector. <laughs> no, it's like having a great penthouse overlooking like a beach with a giant uh, sunset and stuff. I think you can. But which way? Which way does the penthouse face? Is it- does it face north or south? South, of course. Uh, it's a sunset. It's facing east. Oh, oh, oh crap. Sunset in the oh, background. Sunset. Love it. It's great. At least that's where your Smashing. movie theater faces, and you got a giant screen, you're on a couch, and you can watch a, mo- a regular movie. So, but is, now that, there was- is that just like a field of vision thing then? When you're looking at like a 2D video, it's just like basically it's larger than what your eyes are picking up, so you, you kind of feel immersed. So when you kind of move no, your So head. you're in an actual 360 environment uh, rendered by Unity. And it it looks like you're 360 degrees in a giant, beautiful apartment uh, with floor-to-ceiling windows and the sunset going on in the background. I think you can change the time of day and stuff, too. And, does the uh, sunset actually complete, like, the longer that you stand there? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it does. I haven't checked it out it in a better. while. I saw the prototype. It's not reality enough. Um, <laughs> it's too virtual. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, and then you're, you're sitting on a couch, and there's a big movie screen in front of you, and uh, the movie plays on that <laughs> flat. All right, so I have, I'm, in, I'm in my house... And I, I, in real life, I'm in my house, I have my VR headset, I sit down in my living room, on my couch, in front of, in front of my giant television that I won't use to put on a VR headset in which I'm transported to a world where I'm also in a house, sitting on a couch in front of a television where I will put on a movie. And in that movie, I will, it will be like I'm inside the movie. Yeah. No, you won't be inside (laughs) the movie, you'll be watching the movie from a nice apartment with a better view than your own. You don't know that. If you have an apartment that good, then maybe you already I have your theater system. I might move to that uh, five twelve Park Avenue or whatever that is. Oh yeah, that's that's the power address. That is. Yeah. What is it? Is it like two fifty one? I think it's like five one two something it's like two twelve. I think two twelve. Second tallest building, right? It's amazing. or is it the tallest? I'm not. Uh, you know, as a as a guy who does that sort of thing on the side, I should know. But we're talking about tech right now. No yeah, problem. that's true. Uh, anyway, let's leave and, the, uh, by the way, they can yeah. uh, <clears throat> Anyway, by the way, just a quick tangent. By the way, on quicktangent.com, that uh, they can't sell the second highest f- apartment in that building. Why is that, sir? The top level penthouse apartment is $85 million. And the second level apartment from the top down is like $55 million. So you will pay $50 million to hear someone walk above you. And stomp their feet and get up and go to bed and all that stuff. Do you really want to spend $50 million to that? That's ridiculous. I'd rather buy a country or an island. You can buy a couple islands. I'd rather buy some cryptocurrency. There you go. 
I, I would I would join you with the cryptocurrency and then maybe one uh, small walk up in Bushwick. Yeah, well, I'll take fifty million dollars of fake money, please. Yeah, well, you know, cryptocurrency, and we will do a cryptocurrency episode. And I'll just encrypt all your stuff and hold you guys for ransom. There you go. There you go. Done. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so we talked about we talked about three sixty video. Oh, one thing we didn't talk about three about three sixty video is three sixty porn. Wow, <laughs> there was a lot of there's a lot of 360 porn, isn't there, Tyler? There's quite a lot of 360 porn. Um, I mean, no porn. Porn is a very influential industry. True. And huge. They I mean, they uh, in it almost everything. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I, did I say huge? Okay, Beavis. Uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, that was unintentional. Damn it. Um, That's what she said. Anyway, I'm sorry. This well, is so bad. Know, porn did push um, VHS. It well, it it pushed a lot of online transactions and video. Um, look, even now YouTube it, is mimicking what porn has been offering for a while. With yeah, the, with the gift previews. Yeah, so and yeah, boom. No, porn has been a very very big player in the video space f- throughout it, throughout its entire existence. And uh, even though it makes you know laughable content or in- enjoyable content for s- some people, uh, you know it, sh- it sh- shouldn't be dismissed just because of the subject matter. They represent a very large demographic, and they're a very large industry. Twice as much as actual Hollywood, right? I don't know the number. It's it's ridiculous. Whatever it is, it's yeah, insanity. and yeah, I do know that they make a lot of porn and a lot of infomercials in South Florida. Where I'm from. Um, anyway, the humidity. They pick like a drier spot. Why? It Everything's just... so wet. Wow. Awesome. Anyway, so uh, back, to the porn back, back to VR. No, uh, no, we were watching some VR porn the other night. Uh, Not. I mean, our clothes were on. <laughs> but we were watching some because I was because I hadn't ever prototype porn. I had never heard of it. I mean, no, obviously, uh, you know, th- th- it doesn't get approved to these platforms, although I'm sure there is a 360 video for porn platform, but that's another story. No, but it's, uh, it's, it's just as bad as a regular porno, but it, it's filmed from, like, a bird's eye view on top. Oh, so you're just seeing all the worst angles. Yeah. Basically. So you can look one way and you can see the people. You can look the other way and you can see parts of the people. If you like porn but don't like the convenience of having whatever angle at a professional right. shot. and <laughs> oh my God. If you like going like this, moving your head around while watching porn, if, 360 porn is if you, you literally want to be the fly on the wall. If you're the opposite of a film buff. Four, <laughs> if you didn't go to film school. <laughs> but they have a 4D money shot. So, okay. That's oh, enough. Wow. This has been quite... I don't even know also if I can have the... Also known as Oh, I, okay, okay. I might, <laughs> have to, I might have to pull the explicit tag on this or pull the clean tag from this show. But yeah. Anyway. Just edit that part. There was a, there was no, there, we don't tag? edit. There's there no... Beep. Especially, no. It's beep. also... Also harder to edit when all of us are mixing down onto one track. How much harder? Two tracks. Wow. wow, Tyler. <laughs> Mixing down. Okay. And when there's more. Rome. We'll talk more about 360 video or, or later. Or in Paris. All right, Tyler. Or New York. Okay, Tyler. Brooklyn? What about Texas? Is that a girl? Alexis. Alexis from Texas? I mean, yeah. Mm. Let's just be honest. If you're a millennial. <laughs> she started it all. You've probably seen her naked. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even know it. Probably. <laughs> All right. That's All right. Let's be- talk about the Turing right. test. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Back on mic. You're not a okay. pop quiz. Okay. Damn here it. we go. These, what is the Turing test, Tyler? Uh, oh wait. Uh, hold on. Is this, is, this, is this good thinking music, or do you want the? Uh, we could always do the. Uh... 
What is the Turing test? We did this two weeks ago, and then I explained that I'm not going to give a detailed example because then every time that you give an example of what a Turing test is, someone goes, no, it's not, no, it's not, technically, and then you go down four hours of looking at the Wikipedia article, yeah. and that's not even complete, and then you need to be a doctor to really get well, a good summation. So if Ma- the computer's good, it passes Turing tests. Martin, do you have a, an explanation for a Turing test? Well, like... like Generally. It, 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 to generalize it, if you can get fooled by a computer... Well, I get fooled by those loading gifs that are just, you know, in the wheel and like they're not actually doing anything but the wheel keeps spinning. Yeah, spin. I get fooled I get fooled by that and I make loading. Like I make loaders and I still get fooled by them. Yeah. We're off of porn. Wow. <laughs> okay, wow. the Turing test developed by Alan Turing. Do we have listeners anymore? No. Uh, <laughs> the Turing test developed by Alan Turing in 1950 is a test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. Turing proposed that a human evaluator would judge natural language conversations between a human and a machine designed to generate human-like responses. The evaluator would be aware that one of the two partners in the conversation is a machine and that all participants would be separated from one another. The the conversation would be limited to a text-only channel, such as a computer keyboard and screen, so the result would would not depend on the machine's ability to render words as speech. If the evaluator cannot reliably tell the machine from the human, the machine is said to have passed the test. The test does not determine the computer's gender. So if you can make a chatbot, you can... uh... You can pass Turing test. Well, yes mm, and no. No, because I guess like a chatbot is different though, because it's going to be framed in a certain way and on subject. But I guess what if we gave Tyler a Turing test and he failed it? Would you Would you be a computer then? I'm pretty good at cheating, so I think I get around it. You would cheat off of the computer in the Turing test to pass it. I don't know who I cheat <laughs> off of, but <laughs> I would uh, posthumously cheat on Turing. There you go. Um, yeah, so. I don't know. Like bringing that back into like VR, I guess this is like kind of a weird thought I've been having, right? Uh, amongst other weird thoughts that I have. Let's not. You no, know. we've already heard a few of them. Yeah, I know, right? Let's be honest. I'm full of them. Um, no. Uh, so basically, I kind of had this thing in my head, right? Where the real Turing test actually, maybe it's not if you can be fooled um, by text on the computer, right? But imagine uh, once we hit what they call fourth transformation, right? So everything's like. What is the fourth transformation? Fourth transformation by, like, the one-liner from, um, gosh, go back to the notes here. I read the book. I promised twice. The fourth um, transformation, how augmented reality will, uh, and artificial intelligence will change everything. Yes. And so Robert Scovel and Shell Israel, they've been studying this for a while. They, they were kind of ahead on a lot of tech stuff as well. Shell Israel? No, Jerry Lewis already died. Oh. Oof. And, uh, oh. <laughs> and so... So basically, Sorry. what they say in the one-liner is the switch from handsets to headsets, right? Um, is being like the the main uh, the main interface, right? And you're going to be experiencing things in a 360 uh, environment, and um, basically, like with the computing, uh, with computing power, and basically in battery power and everything getting better as it always does in technology, you're going to have really hyper real experiences in in mixed reality, basically. Now, if you combine that with also AI, what they speak about as well, which is just going to complement that whole fourth transformation, imagine being taken advantage of in a real-life setting in a, in a mixed reality uh, in a mixed reality platform, basically. 
the, w- combining not only digital environments but also um, things in the physical world world to help augment that taking advantage of or maybe even not maybe so the like, graphics and everything is so good you just walk down the alleyway with um i don't know somebody who's been superimposed something on their mixed reality world and the ai is i don't know you feel me like can you imagine kind of. that sounds like so if i like- if i can i can go into a virtual car dealership and get taken advantage of by a car a virtual car salesman Wow, I mean that's fantastic. But like, imagine I like, can even virtually like this. haggle with them. Imagine you're in a in a bar, right? And someone's like, um, I don't know, kind of picks you up or whatever, right? But it's not the person you thought it was going to be. It's not the person who it is actually. Maybe it's not even your type of person you go after. But they somehow hacked your headset. They're superimposing some sort of. Image. Oh, I see. You feel me? Yeah. So you're. You, when do when do people take these things off? Virtual right? beer goggles in the shower. <laughs> well, actually, funny enough, these this are guy Robert Scoble got a, 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 a big kind of schnook on the internet because he got the um, first. It was the Hololens. No, no, it was a Google Glass. He took a picture of himself. Oh, I remember in the shower. that. That's he, that's him. He's the guy. Yeah, Robert Scoble. Uh, didn't he uh, Scobleizer? Didn't he? Doesn't he do rack space? Isn't that him? That's maybe. I don't know. He does so many things. He's he always... was on uh, Twit this week in tech a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I love that show. I actually have Jason Callis' number. Calicanus? My... Calicanus. You I know have... him? I have his number on my phone. I'd love to say hi. You want to text him right now? No. Okay. After the show. Okay, cool. I'd love, to, I'd love to have coffee with him. I haven't had coffee with him, but I've actually spoke with him a lot. Um, I was. I had. Uh, I have a secret Twitter account, and I've got... Actually, I have him prior as well. So things that we talked about... Um, went into like real life products. It's actually really cool. I get to see it. Like, huh? Yeah. It's neat. Do, you, do you get royalties from that? No, no, because it was just you know it was done publicly. But of course, everybody listens to that guy, and so we were having great Twitter conversations for a while. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, here's something about the fourth transformation. Ten years from today, the center of our digital lives will no longer be the smartphone, but device. Uh, but device that looks like ordinary. Uh, this is horrible grammar. This can't be from the book. Uh, but, the, but a device that looks like ordinary eyeglasses, except those glasses will have settings for virtual and augmented reality. What you really see is what computer genera- uh, and what is computer-generated will be mixed so slightly together that we won't really be able to deter- determine what is real and what is illusion. Instead of touching and sliding on a mobile phone, we will make things happen by moving our eyes or by our brainwaves. When we talk with someone or play an online game, we will see that person in the same room with us. We will be able to touch and feel them uh, through haptic technology. We won't need to search online with words, only emotions. No. Uh, there will be a new visual web, a hundred times larger than the current internet, right? And, we'll be, and we will find things by images, like Google Image Search. Or buy things by brands, like by going to Amazon. Or by looking at a logo on the jacket of a passerby, like Minority Report. Language will be irrelevant. It's already being irrelevant. Uh, and a merchant development... And, a merchant in a developing world will have access to global markets unless the internet doesn't work. Um, this sounds like, I mean, th- there's futurism and then there's just like this. This sounds like that guy, Matthew Lesko, that can get you more money from the government. <laughs> with the question mark suit. Yeah. You know talk about? Do you know you could get free money from How the government? No one's done that for a Halloween costume. Have you ever seen that as a Halloween costume? I've actually tried to find, a, I wanted to go with him because I wanted to find the question mark thing, but he made it himself. Oh, I mean, but still, though, 
I don't. I don't know if people still know who he is because who watches? Who has a television to watch infomercials at four o'clock in the morning? Oh yeah, he didn't really quite make it on online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway. Um, okay. So that's the fourth transformation. Yes. Uh, I mean, no, I, I get it, and there definitely is an element of that. Don't get me wrong. Um, this falls quite in line with historical hype of AR and VR. The only thing is now is that we definitely have at least some sort of screen somewhere that we can look at that's like thin and lightweight and makes good looking graphics and that we can kind of this it's more tangible than it's ever been but we still have the same restraints processing power uh, and power in general power in general right yeah and heat um, uh, and then also even like coding even uh, uh, like for now how hard is it to like uh, for example if you're going to like fully render like a whole room you're you're going to need some sort of engine, some sort right. of 3D engine. That's not really lightweight software, right? None of it is. None yeah. of it is. And in fact, this is a great segue into talking about CPUs versus GPUs versus tensor processing units, TPUs. Google on Wednesday, this was many Wednesdays ago, shed some details regarding the performance of its custom-built tensor processing unit, a TPU chip. Designed for machine learning and tailored for TensorFlow. I don't know if this is exactly virtual reality, but it seems like it'd be very related. Google's open source machine learning framework called uh, TensorFlow. TPUs have been powering Google data centers since 2015. The first generation of TPUs, Google noted, have targeted inference, the use of an already trained model as opposed to training the training phase of a model. I don't know what that is. On production, AI workloads that utilize... Neural network inference. Oh, it's neural network stuff. The TPU is 15 to 30 times faster than contemporary GPUs and CPUs. And of course, GPUs are much faster than CPUs, which is why on, I think it was our last poll request, we talked about the prices of GPUs increasing sharply because people are using those GPUs to mine cryptocurrency. And you said you're t- they're putting them on jets, right? Yeah, 747s full of them. Ridiculous. And because, because the volatility is that high in cryptocurrency that it takes it, it, they don't know what Bitcoin will be worth by the time the slow boat from China gets here. So they put it on a plane and they fill it up with as many as they can get. And I mean, it's a modern day gold rush. And I watched it happen and I haven't done anything. That's all right. There'll be another gold rush. I don't think so. As soon as they find it's out. It's only like one a century. Oh. Um. Well, I mean, what if gold, what if gold, uh, what if that like follows kind of like a, like a Morse law type thing? There's like one, one century, then like the next century, there's like five. And then next week there's like a hundred. If there are five gold rushes this century, that means that money will not be worth anything by the time we're done. Well, anyway, that's that's actually not a really bad, like, uh, what do they call it? Philosophy? No, no, what do they call it? Prognost- pro- Prognostication. Yeah, prog- is that the right word? There? Prognostication? Prognostication? Yeah, prog- I guess. Yeah. Prognosis? Prognosis? Prognosis negative. We could just say prediction. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I was just trying not to say anything related to... There you go. Uh, TPUs have the highest relative performance per watt out of any sort of other processing unit. You can see here on this graph... Uh, that TPUs are all the way at 196. I don't know what units that is. Probably like with a it just says relative performance. TPUs go faster. TPUs go faster than GPUs, which then go faster than CPUs. Without the TPU, the computational expense of its deep learning models would have been tremendous, Google said. 
If we considered a scenario where people use Google Voice Search for just three minutes a day and we, and we ran deep neural nets for our speech recognition system on the processing units we were using, we would have had to double the number of Google data centers, wrote, uh, wrote Google hardware engineer Norm Javi. What? Oh. Tyler just went to the bathroom. <laughs> In a very audible way, he just left. He just walked out like doors don't make noise. And the fan to my bathroom so, doesn't make noise. Back to that TP. T, oh, no, T, see, because it was TP, and that's why he has to use the bathroom, because oh, we were talking so much about it. <laughs> it's going to be such so many bad puns today. Um, what, were you, what did you want to say? No, I was just saying, um, go back. There was an interesting part. They said it works fast, but it has to be on already trained neural networks. Uh, it says the first generation of TPUs, Google noted, have targeted inference, the use of an already trained model as opposed to the training phase of a new model. Okay, so they kind of like they're using it with something that already exists rather they're, than they're having to make something new. Trained when they put them out for certain tasks, they're not like prototyping. I guess you could say before. Well, I, they I think end. they're prototyping by just trying to compare the performance metrics based on the old way versus the new way. And if something's already established, it would, I think I think it would be easier for them to make this type of comparison. Got it. I don't know though. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yes. But combining that. Right, with, um, with GPUs, okay? So you've got one chip running for the graphics rendering, right? Right. You've got the other chip going just in hyperdrive for the AI. Right. That would be the TPU. Yeah. Now imagine... And then the CPU is just running Windows. Hopefully not Windows. Well, and, and imagine like a, a world like that. That's, I mean... They, it's the world we're in now. Well, I mean... Or we're starting. Yeah, exactly. And that's how you end up with your killer robots. Exactly. So yeah. I mean, or at least a room where you could be attacked in, uh, virtually by killer robots. That'll probably be like the first carnival ride of the future. But okay, if you get attacked by a virtual reality, no, or mixed reality killer robot, but then you actually get a heart attack because of the stress that it, and anxiety it introduces, and you die, is that mixed reality or is that reality reality? Oh, dude, game over. All that's all game over. That's yeah. Well, you know what. I think it's almost game over for our podcast tonight because it looks like we're out of time. How about one last story? Let's put a put. Let's put a pin in VR for now. I have the feeling that we're going to turn this into a two-parter, so we can stay tuned for more VR stuff next week. But our nightcap for this evening is why I'm not a React Native developer, and when I say I, I don't mean me because I am a fan of React Native right now, but I haven't made too many native things with it. That might be why I'm a fan of it. So, uh, many people are currently assessing React Native as a platform to develop their next mobile app. This is no trivial matter. Switching your software development platform involves a high setup cost and will profoundly impact your daily programming workflow. It is also one of the costliest decisions to reverse after anything substantial has been built. Perhaps more importantly, your software development platforms also shape you as a software engineer. A software development platform encourages or forces the use of one language over another, prioritizes certain architectures over others, requiring, sorry, requires using specific tools and workflows, and marries you to an entire ecosystem and its developer community. Facebook also wants you to switch. Someone asked on Reddit, is Facebook's intention with React Native to wholly replace mobile development as we know it today? The answer from the React Native team is yes. Duh. Here's some pros and cons with what, React Native. What does Facebook really want to do, guys? They, they're in everything. 
I mean, yes, yeah. They, they want to take a nice inside, poop on everything yeah. and make you and have you sit in their walled garden of poop. If they get it, uh, I don't know. They'll probably even start designing their own. Chips. It's, it's a it's a dirty diaper stack because they're they're just taking a poop on everything that web design had. Don't they was, spy on all, all the other startups too? I, I read an article about that today. I mean, or, if you this week, I mean, there's that conspiracy theory that if you say like a name of a brand out loud, uh, and then you'll you will see a Facebook ad for it later. I guess I'd have to be on Facebook for that. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be on Facebook <laughs> just to be prepared for when the culture of civil war comes. Anyway, uh, here's a, here are a couple of pros to React Native, and I am a am a proponent of React Native. I'll say uh, there's a declarative style. One thing I've found delightful about working with React Native was the declarative style in which the UI is programmed. In the React way of doing things, UI is a function of state and properties, whereas in Cocoa Touch, which is a native iOS library. It's like uh, if you're developing applications for macOS, you would use Cocoa. And for iOS, you use Cocoa Touch. Uh, UI is imperatively written. And they have examples here, which I can't exactly read. But they say, in the imperative style, you specify all the steps required to update the UI. We need to listen for changes and update the view accordingly. We tell hi- iOS how to compute state of a component. Uh... React's declarative style makes you describe your UI within React's new uh, with with the React sorry, describe your UI with React with React within the view's render method. The React framework ensures that any changes in state trigger re-rendering. Changes in your data, i.e., when background color changes, automatically trigger a change in the UI. This effectively does away with you manually updating views in response to changes in the model. I think that's nice, but it does re-render a lot. Whether or not you liked being relieved of that responsibility, React does a very good job in ensuring that the updates are carried out according to your descriptions, and you no longer have to worry about rolling out and maintaining a property setter for your whatever variable. All you do is update the state. Uh, and they mention that it's a good evolution from NVC, which has been the previous paradigm for this type of programming. Um, if React Native has faster iterations. It's not, a, it's not just intellectual. The framework will appear to appeal to the pragmatically minded too. When you program in React Native, the framework will create a local server that serves the JavaScript files you're working on. You build the app once, run it in the iOS sim or a device, and React Native ensures that any changes you make in the JavaScript are reflected in the app. And they give you options for the type of reloading that you want. Uh, also cross-platform. However, there's an uncertain ro- roadmap. A major concern with React Native is the lack of long-term commitment for the project. They might just close up shop and stop developing at any time. And it's kind of, it's kind of sad, but I know that... I, what, to step away from this article for a second, I know that Facebook has a lot of plans for React Native, but I don't know how aggressive they are in actually doing it, especially because there aren't many JavaScript frameworks that offer a quick bridge to Native now. If, Angular, if Google came out with an Angular Native component, that would definitely give Facebook more drive to push React Native, but they're not for some reason. I don't know why. Um, yeah, they say Facebook hasn't made any long-term commitments to maintaining React Native for a sustained period of time. The company hasn't provided any guarantees that it won't pull the plug on the project, not just for the foreseeable future, but for the lifetime of your app. In other words, you currently don't have any guarantees that it'll ever be compatible with iOS 11 or 12. There's also more... uh, Oh, feel free to jump in. No, I was just like thinking to myself, maybe that's kind of what they want. They want you in their walled garden, but as, as keepers of the walled garden, they have to update it. With other, so it can stay a garden. Otherwise, the shrubbery are going to die. 
is well, gonna die. Maybe they're trying to just make their own patch of dirt and move out of the whole neighborhood. You know what I mean? They can make their own patch of dirt, but someone else owns the plot of land I, that the dirt is in. And that's if it's and if it's on an iPhone, it's Apple. And they gotta make they have to keep working on React Native so it works with the latest version of iOS. Imagine if you've had an application that you've painstakingly like, you've listened to some per- idiot like me say React Native is great. It really helps streamline development if you want to move your informational app to a native uh, from web to native. That's great. And then React and then Facebook says, you know, we're just not going to support iOS 11. We're like, but iOS 11 is about to come out. They're like, yeah, but you know, it's really, it's really tough right now. We just can't support it. Really sorry. You're screwed. Or maybe they bend, like, all right, well, fine. Well, I mean, the reason why they wouldn't support it is not just some kind of autocratic reason. It would probably be because of some technical reason. At the same time, Apple stopped supporting things willy-nilly, and people just seem to take that. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, they, we don't support headphones anymore. No headphones. Yeah. I'm sure the next MacBook Pro is not going to have a headphone port. It'll just have a lightning jack for that lightning headphones. Anyway, uh, interesting also with React that there's an additional grant of patent rights. Facebook's motives for including the fi- this file aren't clear, nor is the file itself. It's a bipolar document. Right after the document grants you a, quote, perpetual, worldwide, royalty-free, non-exclusive, irrevocable license to use React Native, we are served with the following clauses, quote, the license granted hereunder will terminate automatically and without notice if you or any of your subsidiaries, corporate affiliates, or agents initiate directly or indirectly or take direct financial interest in any patent assertion. One, against Facebook or any of its subsidiaries or corporate affiliates. Two, against any party if such patent assertion arises in whole or in part from any software, technology, product, or service of Facebook. Or if any of its subsidiaries or corporate affiliates. Or three, against any party relating to the software. So if you use React Native, you're not allowed to sue Facebook. Nice. Well done. uh, You know what? That's brilliant. Well, Put that in a free piece of code that everyone downloads, and before you know it, they're immune to lawsuits. Especially if there was a mistake in their code anyway. That deleted your app without it without knowing. Wow. The last reason to not use React Native is because it's in JavaScript. Wow. That's the worst reason. Why, do, why does JavaScript get so much... People don't hate? like... Some people don't like JavaScript. Well, Those I are mean, mean people. It changed a lot over the last four years. It was really, it really confusing. It, it was... It was, it was extremely difficult for a lot of people. It just you had to really, really get a lot better with code to follow up with what was going on. In some cases, really, it made, yeah. the, it made the the bar to becoming a front end web developer a lot higher. Uh, and and it makes people that have learned JavaScript ages ago and makes them have to relearn it, like me. Yeah, yeah. and then it, and then it also has been a double edged sword in introducing a lot of things that a developer that's you know more senior can can do some stuff and and more people that read the code spend time figuring out what the hell they're doing than reading the code and enjoying it. ES6 has definitely been a boon in the longer term for JavaScript because it makes it much closer to a regular classic programming language. However, it's still, you have to relearn it if you spent 15 years learning doing JavaScript the old way. I started doing JavaScript when it was called DHTML in AngelFire in 1999, and I haven't stopped. And so ES6, from 1999 until 2015, JavaScript had remained relatively... Big relative. Well, that's relatively ridiculous. And then they made a big break with ES6, and everything after then, while different, is kind of an add-on to the big ES6 change. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, but it it allows, it gives this scripting language, which I don't even think will be called JavaScript in the future, but it gives it more legs and an ability to to live on in a new era of the internet. Uh, And we're not done with the show yet, Tyler. What are you doing? 
You're packing up already. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that I think that means that it's really time to end. So, uh, Christian's not here. Tyler, do you approve of this pull request? It was wordy, but I approve. Very good, Martin. I I I, I love it. Your very first pull request. This is yeah. I I've, I've been polled. Great. Oh, oh, polled. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. <Wow>. Well then. <laughs> Great. Well, then let's all hit merge. Merge. And we'll see you all next week right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium, LLC, or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Wolfpack. Visit them at V-U-L-F-P-E-C-K dot com. <laughs>